You're listening to Rowan Radio On Demand. Download more podcasts at rowanradio.com. The following program does not represent the views or opinions of the staff or administration of Rowan University or Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents The Rowan Report, a weekly news magazine that recaps local, national, and international news that affects you. And now, the Rowan Radio News Team. Good morning and welcome to the Rowan Report here on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. I'm Allie Bruce with the Rowan Radio News Team. Some of this week's headlines include members of Congress testify on the Silicon Valley Bank collapse, an American drone was knocked down over the Black Sea by a Russian jet, and five women overdosed on fentanyl in Hackensack. Here's your national news recap for the week of March 12th. The Treasury Secretary is testifying before Congress following the recent collapse of two banks. During a hearing before the Senate Finance Committee, Oregon Democrat Ron Wyden said lawmakers are committed to finding out what exactly led to the Silicon Valley Bank's failure. He said one of the most important steps Congress can take is making sure there are no questions about the full faith and credit of the U.S., urging Republicans to agree to raise the debt limit. Meanwhile, Republican Senator Mike Crapo of Idaho said he's concerned about the precedent of guaranteeing all deposits for the bank and market expectations moving forward. He added inflation played a key role in the bank failures. The White House says Congress needs to act to strengthen banking regulations after the collapse of two banks. The Obama administration put in place tough requirements to make sure that this sort of crisis would not happen again. But unfortunately, in the last administration in 2018, some of those uh, rolled back. The bill would put banks with at least $50 billion in assets back under strict Federal Reserve oversight. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said tougher rules are necessary to prevent another failure. She added the administration is working to get full accounting of what happened with the Silicon Valley Bank to hold those responsible accountable. Credit Suisse Bank says it's getting a lifeline from Switzerland's central bank. NBC's Brian Chung reports. One of the largest banks in the world. Customers pulling their money out of the firm led the Swiss National Bank to pledge help if necessary. Overnight, Credit Suisse accepted that help, saying it would borrow up to $54 billion in an effort to reassure investors. The move comes after a slump in shares raised fears it would collapse. Concerns about Credit Suisse added to broader fears about banking sector after U.S. Bank Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank collapsed last weekend. The U.S. should fly more drones over the Black Sea after Russian jets forced one out of the sky this week. That's what Florida Senator Marco Rubio told CBS News. Rubio, who is the vice chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, said more drones should be deployed in the region, potentially alongside U.S. fighter jets that can respond to threats. The Republican called the move by Russia a direct test to see how the Biden administration responds. Defense officials say they'll continue flying in international airspace. The latest battleground over abortion is a popular pill that's used to end a pregnancy. There's a lawsuit filed in Texas that accuses the FDA of ignoring the risk to consumers. What's being accused here is that the FDA has not followed its own protocol. That's John Siego with Texas Right to Life. The lawsuit over the abortion pill is similar to the one that challenged the FDA's approval of the Pfizer's COVID vaccine, arguing it was released to the public without knowing all the side effects. It is now in the hands of a federal judge. 
Since the start of the year, there have been a concerning number of high-profile near misses as planes involved in airport landing or taking off procedures came perilously close to potential disaster. These recent incidents must serve as a wake-up call for every single one of us before something more catastrophic occurs, before lives are lost, National Transportation Secretary Board Chair Jennifer Homendy said to government and industry leaders gathered for the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration Safety Summit on Wednesday. Perhaps closest to disaster was an incident on February 4th when FedEx cargo pilots were landing at Austin only to see a Southwest plane was on the runway about to take off. Air traffic control had cleared both planes despite the airport being wreathed in fog. The aircraft came within 100 feet of each other. The Biden administration is threatening to ban TikTok unless the app's Chinese owners sell their stakes in the company. But TikTok CEO Xu Zichu tells the Wall Street Journal a sale won't resolve America's national security concerns over the popular video app. Xu says the demands for Chinese-owned BitDance to sell its stake in TikTok won't offer any more protection than a plan the company proposed with a U.S.-based company, Oracle. There's concern the company could harvest and supply sensitive data on U.S. users to the Chinese government. Multiple state governments and Congress have banned the app from government devices. A man from Ecuador who was caught crossing into Texas will remain locked up for a long time. Ramiro Cuecana Campos was carrying a cell phone that was chock full of child pornography. The United States attorney for Texas called it sickening. A federal judge sentenced him to serve seven years in American prison before he's deported back to Central America. A Florida Keys woman is charged with murder for allegedly selling fentanyl to a 53-year-old who overdosed. The medical examiner determined the woman had lethal doses of fentanyl and diazepam in her system. Monroe County Sheriff's Office detective says Alexis Joy Sather sold it to her. Sather was already behind bars on other drug-related charges. I'm Allie Bruce, and that was your National News. This is Connor Brown with your international news report. All sources coming from Reuters. The United States on Thursday released a declassified video showing Russia's intercept of a U.S. military surveillance drone downed over the Black Sea two days ago. Images at the White House said exposed how Moscow was lying about what happened. The downing of a U.S. MQ-9 drone on Tuesday was the first direct U.S.-Russian incident since the Ukraine war began, worsening already tense relations between Washington and Moscow as both countries publicly traded blame. In the video, a Russian Su-27 fighter jet can be seen coming very close to the drone and dumping fuel near it, what U.S. officials said was an apparent effort to damage the American aircraft as it flew. It also shows the loss of the video feed after another close Russian maneuver, which the Pentagon said resulted from a Russian jet colliding with the drone. The video ends with images of the drone's damaged propeller, which the Pentagon said it was caused by the collision, making the aircraft inoperable and leading it to crash into deep waters. The Pentagon said the video, which is about 40 seconds long, was edited for length by the U.S. military but shows events in sequential order. A map provided by U.S military showed the intercept first occurring between 40 and 50 nautical miles off Crimea in international airspace. The collision took place about 10 miles further, and the drone eventually crashed 75 to 85 nautical miles from land, according to the U.S. military. 
Russia has denied U.S. accusations that its jets acted recklessly and instead has blamed sharp maneuvering by the drone for the crash. It says its jets did not make contact. The White House said the footage released refuted Moscow's version of events. It obviously just decimates the Russian lie about what they said happened, but what they said didn't happen. White House spokesperson John Kirby told reporters, it's pretty darn obvious when you look at that video that the fighter jet hit our drone. The incident over international waters was a reminder of the risk of direct confrontation between the United States and Russia over Ukraine, which Moscow invaded more than a year ago and in which Western allies have supported with intelligence and weapons. And for our second story of today, China will set up a financial watchdog run by the Communist Party. State media reported on Thursday as part of a broad reorganization of governing bodies set to give the ruling party direct control and supervision over financial affairs. The creation of the Central Financial Commission will see the dissolution of the state-run Financial Stability and Developmental Committee, FSDC, a powerful body set up in 2017 and headed by former Vice Premier Liao He to curb risks in China's complex and often opaque financial system. The new watchdog will be responsible for the top-level design, development, and supervision of the financial sector, strengthening United leadership on financial work according to a plan published by state media. To strengthen the ideological and political role of the party in China's overall financial system, a separate Central Financial Work Commission will also be established. The reorganization of party and state-run financial bodies comes after Xi Jinping secured a president-breaking third term as party leader in October, and also a new term as president earlier this month, making him China's most powerful leader since Mao Zedong. The line between the party and government has become decisively blurred, so there's no way that the new financial watchdogs will contradict with what the party wants, said Yan Wang, chief China strategist at Alpine Macro, a global investment firm based in Montreal. Reuters previously reported that Beijing was planning to resurrect an elite party financial watchdog that operated between 1998 in 2003 to increase political control over the financial sector. It will be headed by member of the seven-member Politburo Standing Committee, the party's top decision-making body helmed by Xi, sources previously said. The revival of the high-level oversight body comes as Chinese leaders race to inject new momentum into the world's second-largest economy, battered by three years of heavy COVID-19 curbs, a protracted property slump, and weak external demands the country's exports. And for our third and final story of today, as South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol landed in Tokyo on Thursday, his plan to patch up relations with Japan faces lingering skepticism at home. South Korean opposition likely poses little domestic political problem for the conservative Yoon, but could affect how far he is able to go in winning cooperation from Japan, experts say. Yoon's visit to Tokyo, the first such summit since 2011, comes after he proposed that South Korean companies compensate plaintiffs who won court cases accusing Japanese firms of using forced labor during Japan's 1910-1945 occupation of Korea. That plan was welcomed in Tokyo and praised by the White House as groundbreaking, but several key victims have already rejected the proposal, and polls show it is generally unpopular in South Korea. About 59% of the respondents oppose the plan because of a lack of an apology and compensation from Japan. 64% do not consider Yoon's proposed compensation plan adequate. A Gallup Korea survey showed 64% of the respondents said South Korea did not need to rush to improve ties with China if there's no change in Tokyo's attitude according to the poll. I believe that Korean people will understand how hard the government has worked to heal the wounds of the forced labor victims and to build a future-oriented Korea-Japan relations, Yoon said in a written interview with international media on Wednesday when asked about the domestic opposition. And this was Connor Brown with your international news report. I'm Al Lawton with your local news. 
Five women who work at a New Jersey mall apparently overdosed on fentanyl Wednesday while on the job. It happened in the afternoon at the shops at Riverside Mall in Hackensack. The women, all between the ages of 29 and 41, were given Narcan by first responders and four of the women were taken to the hospital for additional treatment. NJ.com reports they were in the lower level parking garage at the time. It's not clear how the woman adjusted the drug, but it's often used to lace other drugs like cocaine and heroin. An investigation is ongoing. Attorney generals across the tri-state area are banding together to call on major credit card companies to create a code for gun sales. The code was approved and allows financial institutions to better detect and report suspicious gun and ammunition purchases. American Express, MasterCard, Visa, and Discover pledged to add the merchant code for gun retailers back in September, but recently announced they're holding off on those plans because of pushback from several states. New Jersey Attorney General Matthew Platkin is at the head of the coalition that sent a letter condemning these companies, saying the code could help combat mass shootings and gun violence. The Lehigh County coroner ruled the death of a man as a homicide. Last Thursday, 38-year-old Mustafa Brown was assaulted in an incident which resulted in him dying from his injuries Monday at a hospital in Bethlehem. The coroner released the details from the autopsy done on Brown on Thursday, which say he died from head trauma sustained during the assault. This led the coroner to rule the death of Brown as a homicide. It is not known if anyone has been charged in relation to the assault, but Allentown Police, the Lehigh County Homicide Task Force, and the DA's office are all investigating. NJ Transit and Rutgers University are partnering to form a training center for public transportation service jobs. The International Association of Public Transport Union is involved and it will be the first of this kind of training facility in North America. NJ Transit will lead the regional partnership by sponsoring four training programs annually, including rail operations and maintenance for North America. Governor Murphy says this will mean New Jersey will earn worldwide recognition as a North American transportation hub. Newark officials are looking for suspects in a massive liquid chemical theft. Officials say 200 gallons of chemicals were stolen on March 5th and have now released surveillance footage of the white Chevy getaway van with the logo Rain Stop Gutters emblazoned across it in blue. Neither police nor the Troy Chemical Corporation on Avenue L have revealed what type of chemicals were stolen. New York Governor Hochul is making a case for her $1 billion mental health proposal in the upcoming budget. She spoke after talking with teenagers about the challenges they have accessing mental health services, many saying there are not enough school guidance counselors. She says this was the first conversation in a series of many to talk about mental health with students around the state. Hochul has already proposed allocating $30 million to expand school-based services and another $10 million for suicide prevention. Police in Union County are looking for a man caught on camera putting a dead cat in a mailbox. Home security video shows a man on a Cranford sidewalk holding something that police presume was the deceased cat. You then see the man walking on the sidewalk and up a driveway, depositing the object into the resident's mailbox. This horrifying incident happened at about 10 o'clock on Sunday night. Police consider the man in the video a person of interest and are asking folks to call in if they have any information. A Princeton University student is being charged with pushing and shoving police officers during the U.S. Capitol riot two years ago. He's been identified as Larry Giberson of Manahawkin, and according to Princeton, he's a senior majoring in politics. He's accused of coordinating heave-ho pushing efforts to break a police line at the Capitol, chanting drag them out. One cop was crushed between the door and a police shield held by a rioter. Giberson was allegedly wearing a Make American Great Again hat and a Trump flag around his neck. Meanwhile, a Brooklyn man, Edward Rodriguez, has pleaded guilty to a felony assault charge after being seen on video attacking police with bear spray. New Jersey is a step closer to require new home improvement contractors to get licenses for their work. According to NJ.com, the bill was recently passed by the state assembly. Current law in the Garden State does not require contractors to get a license. The bill's primary sponsor, State Senator Gordon Johnson, called the measure common sense, setting other service industries where you have to prove you're qualified. I'm L. Lawton, and that was your local news. I'm Riley Adams, and this is your Rowan News. On Wednesday, March 8th, Rowan University held their ninth annual Day of Giving, a 24-hour fundraising sprint that allows donors of the Rowan community to give back to specific programs, teams, clubs, and other areas that mean the most to them. 
This year, the university generated $314,672 in counting, which is nearly $40,000 more than last year's event projected. In all, 2,326 gifts were received from students, staff, faculty, alumni, family, and friends of Rowan. The 76th Day of Giving Ambassadors from the Rowan community also raised almost $20,000 from 489 gifts through peer-to-peer outreach. Although donors contributed online, organizers held a Day of Giving celebration in the Student Center pit, where Rowan Radio, WGLS-FM, broadcasted live and was provided information on activities and ways to get involved on campus by 14 organizations. Together, Rowan University and the Justimir Foundation are making it easier for students to earn their bachelor's degree through the university's 3 plus 1 degree completion program. To ensure students have the proper resources, the foundation has provided $100,000 to support scholarships for students in the nursing program and law and justice studies program. In collaboration with Rowan College of South Jersey and Rowan College of Burlington County, Rowan University offers affordable and accessible pathways to bachelor degrees in high demand fields. Through this model, students can pursue a bachelor's degree at a reduced cost by completing three years at RCSJ or RCBC and their final year at Rowan University. With the support of the Justimir Foundation, selected students will be able to continue to pay the community college rate while completing their fourth year at Rowan University. Students will be able to apply for funds this spring for the 2023-2024 academic school year. I'm Riley Adams, and that was your Rowan News. That does it for the first half of the Rowan Report, wrapping up this week's national, international, and local news. We are going to take a quick break. Up next, we have your weekly sports, business, and entertainment news. Stay tuned right here on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. Welcome back to the Rowan Report. I'm Allie Bruce along with the Rowan Radio News Team. I'm Danny Ryan for the Roan Report with your professional sports news. Starting in the NFL, let's take a look at the offseason moves up to this point. Beginning with a draft-related move, the Carolina Panthers pulled the trigger on a blockbuster deal that sent the number one overall pick to Carolina from the Chicago Bears. In exchange for the top pick, the Bears received the number nine pick in this year's draft, a second round pick this year, a first round pick in 2024, a second round pick in 2025, along with the Panthers' top wide receiver, DJ Moore. Chicago received quite the package for this year's top selection. However, the Panthers, led by new head coach Frank Reich, will have their choice between Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud or Alabama quarterback Bryce Young at number one overall. Rumors have linked the Panthers to liking C.J. Stroud the most, but there's also rumors that have linked them to former Florida Gator quarterback Anthony Richardson. However, the odds of that happening are extremely low. Last week, former Raiders quarterback Derek Carr got the ball rolling after agreeing to a four-year deal with the New Orleans Saints. This week, the Las Vegas Raiders found their replacement for Carr, signing former Patriots and 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo signed a three-year, $72 million incentive-based contract with only $33 million of the $72 million guaranteed. 31-year-old Garoppolo spent six seasons in San Francisco and will look to bring his winning ways to the Sin City with the Raiders. The Aaron Rodgers saga has finally concluded. Kind of. After months of speculation and constant media attention, Aaron Rodgers joined the Pat McAfee show virtually on Wednesday to clear the air. During his time on the show, Rodgers stated that he realized he would like to continue playing after emerging from his darkness retreat, but that something changed within the Packers organization during that time. 
Rodgers then proceeded to announce Green Bay would like to move on from him and he would like to play for the New York Jets in 2023. At this time, it looks like Rodgers is destined to be a Jet, but trade discussions between the two franchises have delayed the process. Lastly, for the NFL, let's take a look at two playmakers on the move from both the offensive and defensive sides of the football. Former Las Vegas Raiders tight end Darren Waller was dealt to the New York Giants in exchange for a third-round draft pick this year. Waller has struggled to stay healthy over the past few seasons, but could be a huge asset to the New York football Giants due to their lack of offensive weapons, if he can stay on the field, that is. Ahead of Waller's trade to New York, another NFC team dealt one of their best defensive players. Jalen Ramsey was shipped from the NFC West to the AFC East as the Miami Dolphins acquired the six-time Pro Bowl cornerback from the LA Rams in exchange for a 2023 third-round pick and tight end Hunter Long. Ramsey is still regarded by many as the best cornerback in the league, and he'll get the chance to prove it for the Dolphins in South Beach. Quickly taking a look at the NBA, Nikola Jokic and his chances of winning the MVP award three years in a row have diminished greatly. As of Thursday, March 16th, 76ers big man Joel Embiid holds the best odds to win the MVP award at minus 115, while Jokic and his odds have shifted from minus 390 as of March 1st to plus 160 as of March 16th. Now that's quite the turnaround if you ask me. Finally, let's close things out with Major League Baseball. The World Baseball Classic is well underway, and that means the chances of pointless injuries are increasing by the second. Unfortunately, the WBC has claimed its first victim in the form of New York Mets and Puerto Rico closing pitcher Edwin Diaz. Diaz suffered a full thickness tear of the patellar tendon following Puerto Rico's round-clinching celebration Wednesday night. This injury will cause Diaz to miss the entire 2023 season due to a six to eight month recovery process that comes with that injury. And lastly, 2020 NL Cy Young Award winner Trevor Bauer has signed with a new team. Bauer will take his talents to Japan, signing a one year, $3 million contract with the Yokohama Bay Stars of the NPB that includes performance and marketing incentives. Once again, this has been Danny Ryan for the Rowan Report with your professional sports news. This is Ileana Pineda with your business news report. Goldman Sachs economists predict that there's a 35% chance the U.S. will experience a recession in the next 12 months. The prediction by Goldman increased by 10 percentage points following the fall of Silicon Valley Bank earlier this month. Recession fears have remained prevalent as the Federal Reserve continues to hike interest rates to tame inflation. The federal board that oversees the freight rail industry is allowing a proposed merger of two major freight railroads. The Surface Transportation Board on Wednesday approved of the merger of Kansas City Southern and Canadian Pacific Railway. People like Mike Cox living near railroad tracks operated by Kansas City Southern hope their quality of life isn't impacted by a railroad merger. Almost every morning he hits the horn about halfway down the park and just lays on it all the way through. Depending on how many trains come through here, it's going to be a lot worse. Regulators and some members of Congress are demanding more stringent safety requirements after the derailment of a Norfolk Southern freight train in East Palestine. I'm Liana Pineda, and that was your business news report. And now it's time for your weekly entertainment recap with me, Karina Cologne. Singer and songwriter Bobby Caldwell is dead at the age of 71. TMZ reports Caldwell died in his sleep at his home in New Jersey. He died after battling an illness over several years. Caldwell wrote songs for Neil Diamond, Roberta Flack, and Bo Gaz. He's known for his big hit, What You Won't Do For Love. 
Denise Russo, who starred in VH1's The Ex-Life, has died in San Diego at the age of 44. Police say she was found unresponsive last Sunday afternoon at a friend's home in Pacific Beach. Paramedics attempted to resuscitate Russo, but she was pronounced dead. Authorities found drug paraphernalia at the scene. An investigation into her death is pending. The special prosecutor in the Alec Baldwin Rust case is resigning. On Tuesday, Andrea Reeve announced she would be resigning from the trial, saying she didn't want her dual rules as both prosecutor and legislator to cloud the issues. Reeve was hired last August to lead the prosecution into the shooting death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins on the set of the film Rust in 2021. A few months later, she was elected to New Mexico's House of Representatives. Baldwin's lawyers have argued she can't serve as a lawmaker and prosecutor simultaneously. Reeve said that resigning from the trial is the best way to ensure justice is served in this case. Kanye West isn't facing charges after grabbing and throwing a photographer's phone in January. The singer was filmed reaching into the photographer's car before grabbing and tossing the phone into the street. A few weeks later, Kanye asked West Hollywood police to stop the paparazzi from following him. The photographer involved in the incident has decided to not press charges. Actress Jenna Ortega says she rejected multiple offers to star in the hit Netflix series Wednesday. Ortega told The Times UK that she got an email and passed on the offer because she had already done so much TV in her life and all she ever wanted to do was film. Film. The actress said she was scared if she signed on to another TV show, it would prevent her from doing other jobs she really wanted and cared about. Ortega said the only reason she accepted the role is because director Tim Burton is such a legend and she never expected the series to become as successful as it is. When asked if it would be preferable if the show wasn't such a massive hit, Ortega answered yes. Actress Lindsay Lohan is pregnant. She's expecting her first child with husband Balder Shamas. The Mean Girl star announced the news on her Instagram page with a picture of the baby bodysuit with the words, coming soon. Lohan and Shamas, who are both 36 years old, secretly married in July 2022. A city in Arizona is celebrating pop singer Taylor Swift in a big way. To honor the start of her upcoming Eras tour, the city of Glendale will temporarily change its name to Swift City during her concert dates on March 17th and 18th. Swift's Eras tour is highly anticipated after fans had issues trying to access tickets on Ticketmaster. Universal Studios is moving up the release date of its highly anticipated Wicked film adaptation. Part 1 of the studio's return to the Land of Oz will now debut in theaters on November 27th of next year. It was originally slated to debut on Christmas of 2024. The second part will premiere on Christmas in 2025. The cast includes Jonathan Bailey, Jeff Goldblum, Michelle Yeoh, Ariana Grande, and Cynthia Ervo. I'm Karina Colon, and this has been your weekly entertainment recap here on Rowan Radio. And that wraps up this week's edition of the Rowan Report here on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. For the Rowan Radio News Team, I'm Allie Bruce. Have a great day. You've been listening to The Rowan Report, a weekly news magazine that recaps local, national, and international news that affects you. Be sure to join us every Saturday morning at 9.30 for another edition of The Rowan Report, exclusively here on Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM.